loud voice again. And the guys are fine. It balances nice if I just bring one or two. Yeah. I'm thinking one choir director and one student. I think that will fill it. You may be seated. I forgot to put those bricks through the dishwasher. I told you in uh, my weekly email to you on Friday that I was going to have to mention uh, Archie Bunker and uh, Edith. Uh, and so uh, I put up this photo of the, the uh, sitcom All in the Family with uh, characters, if you uh, are too young to have remembered that, or seen reruns. This was a sitcom that ran from 1971 to 1976, and it won many awards, uh, television awards and acting awards for uh, these four characters particularly. The two main characters were Archie Bunker and Edith. I have a slide of them. Archie Bunker was played by Carol O'Connor and uh, Gene Stapleton was Edith, who Archie just called Edith. And uh, it was a uh, drama between two generations, actually. Their daughter was married, and she and her husband lived with them. Uh, his name was Michael Stivick, and his, their daughter was named Gloria Bunker Stivick. But uh, Archie called uh, Michael Meathead. And so he just called him Meat. I, I had a hard time looking up what his real name was. But uh, uh, the interesting thing about that show is that it was not just a show of entertainment. It won a lot of awards because it was a show that uh, broke ground on, in television for bringing up subjects that television had not covered before. It brought up bigotry, racism, uh, sexual revolution, uh, many issues. Uh, you never knew which program was going to cover which subject. And it was very controversial. But a lot was happening in the 60s and 70s in America, in our culture. It was changing rapidly. It was a time of uh, racial change, uh, changes in our morals. Uh, those two decades were remarkable. And those of us who lived before and after them remember uh, a lot of the upheaval during those days. It seems like uh, there's plenty to go around today, but uh, things were changing dramatically back then. I think they've continued to evolve, but those changes that we are dealing with and struggling with today really began rapidly in the 60s and 70s, and that program uh, really uh, brought them to the fore, and it was very courageous of them to do that. Situated in a, a family that I gather was in Brooklyn or someplace like that, and um, was funny, and yet it wasn't funny at, at spots. Um, families have always had to struggle to survive 
and deal with the challenges of changes of all types in their lifetimes. Um, so many types of changes, so many types of struggles, not only the physical and health struggles, but uh, the struggles in the economy, the struggles in politics, the struggles between nations, struggles in crime, so many types of things that families have to struggle with. So does the family of Christ. The question is, does the family uh, of Christ provide a model for all of our individual families? Or do our individual families and the brokenness we experience in our individual lives and families shape the condition of the family of Christ? Are we, are, are we receiving all of our cues from a broken world? Or are we trying to be what Jesus called us to be, salt and light in the world, beginning with the families within our church family? Which is influencing which? Um, our text this morning is one snapshot in a struggle in the early life of the family of Christ. It is an obscure paragraph that you might just zip by, but it is a wonderful example for us to see how to read the scripture and put it together to see the, the dynamic stories that are going on all through God's story of redemption. So here's our text this morning from Acts uh, 15, verse 36 through 41. Let us listen to God's word for us this morning. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out. The believers commending him to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. And let us pray for God's discernment, God to help us with discernment. Lord, we do ask that you uh, help us to hear your words and take the time to read them carefully and take the time to look it around at other places in your word that provide light on this particular portion of your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to retain your word and to let it build in our lives that you might use it by your spirit to produce wonderful transformation for each of us individually and for us as individual families 
and for us as, a, as one part of your great church family. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the surface, this little paragraph seems insignificant. Uh, when we see what is behind this little paragraph, whose names these are, then we wonder how it could be a model for the church today. This little paragraph hardly seems to be an important word for helping us to live like the family of Christ. If anything, this paragraph appears to be the opposite. It is instead an example of disagreement and separation between brothers. How could this be a little glimpse into the early church that is instructive for us as a congregation of thinking, believing, uh, following disciples of Christ? The problem is, again, that we are seeing just one snapshot in the long story of each of these four men that are mentioned. Paul, Barnabas, John Mark, and Silas. I'm going to concentrate on the first three. Silas uh, is, is important, though, and I will mention him, but I we don't have much previous information about Silas. Uh, let's see what led then to this family feud. And it starts with looking at the person called Barnabas. Uh, he, he appears in the New Testament in the book of Acts for the first time in the fourth chapter. Okay, we just read the 15th. Back into the fourth chapter, the church has just begun in Jerusalem. There's been the explosion of membership on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. And the church went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. Uh, a few weeks later, there was the healing of the lame man beside the gate of the temple. And that day, another 5,000 gathered at the temple were said according to the scripture written by Luke given by God that 5,000 joined the church in that day we're moving up toward 10,000 members within months and gathering daily in the temple in Jerusalem for there was a lot of instruction to be done for all of these new followers of Christ Yes, they did have their Old Testament, but the apostles had to teach them the teachings of Christ to understand what God had been doing. So into this scene, in the fourth chapter, it says, they were all of one heart. They were gathered together. And I have another slide up here that uh, describes what happened. There was not a needy person among them. That's a lot of people. For as many as had land and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. We still do that in, in a way. But it goes on to say, 
there was a Levite. What is a Levite? A member of the tribe of Levi, the descendant, and those were the priests in Jerusalem for century after century. So this was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. That's an island off the coast uh, of Syria, there up in the northwest corner of the Mediterranean. His name was Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas. He's early on with a nickname. And why? It means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him and then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And other things about Joseph and the way he followed Christ showed his care for others. And he was known for encouraging people. Uh, people who were down and out were picked up by Barnabas. We will see why as we see him pop up at key points in Acts and in the growth of the church, for Barnabas appears again and again. He appears next in chapter 9. So from chapter 4 on up to chapter 9. And chapter 9 is the great chapter about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a rabbinical student, a Jew by birth, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a very ardent, a de devoted Jew to the law of Moses. He was very critical of other people and was uh, wholly committed to, uh, to opposing anyone that was against the law of Moses and, uh, and God. Uh, he, did, he was not just a man of talk, but a man of action. And uh, Saul was in Jerusalem during this time that the church was born, and he began to persecute them. Uh, he uh, was uh, delegated by the religious leadership in Jerusalem to go to Damascus, which is north in Syria, and on the way, Christ uh, spoke to him on that road and caused him to be blind he asked who was speaking to him, and Je uh, the, the voice from heaven said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And that was such a radical uh, realization for Paul that he had a radical turn of his life. And he went, was taken on to Damascus. They were almost there. He was blind for three days. Chapter 9 is the story of Saul's conversion. And as soon as he was converted and he began instead to teach about Christ there in Damascus. And he was so knowledgeable about the Old Testament that he began quickly to see what Christ was sh showing him uh, about God's plan for a Messiah who would be uh, a savior to atone for the sins that no one could keep the law. Paul became the 
chief architect of the theology of the Christian church, following all that Christ taught. And, uh, and he was so, uh, so disturbing to the Jews in Damascus that they wanted to kill him. And so he was hurried away and he made his way down to Jerusalem. And when he was in Jerusalem, he tried to approach the leaders of the church there, but they were afraid of him. Uh, he, uh, but the one that went to him was Barnabas. And Barnabas uh, took him uh, to see the leaders of the church. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Uh, let me give you a little context here as to where we are. Uh, Jerusalem is down here. I'm going to have to hold my hand steady here. Right here. And Tarsus is up here. And Damascus is here. So uh, Paul, Saul, came down to Jerusalem. And uh, that is where he was trying to be welcomed into the church and it took Barnabas to go to him. Go to the next slide. And it says, When he had come to Jerusalem, Saul, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Uh, Saul was so bold that even in Jerusalem, his old friends, who were also rabbinical students and ardently opposed to the Christians, then turned on Paul and uh, again tried to take his life. So Paul was then sent back up to Tarsus, up in the, above Syria. And uh, life proceeded on from there. But meanwhile, uh, many Gentiles were becoming followers of Jesus in the city of Antioch. Uh, can you go back to that slide of the map? I want to show again where we are. So uh, Paul was back up here and around here in Tarsus, and Antioch is right here. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. You don't know of it? But we weren't living back then. But that is what historians tell us. And it is in Antioch that uh, Gentiles really first began to flock to the gospel. And the church in Antioch was predominantly Gentiles. The uh, disciples and the apostles down in Jerusalem heard of this. And so they sent Barnabas up to Antioch to minister to them. And as soon as he gets there and sees the situation, how much teaching they need, he leaves Antioch and goes north to Tarsus and picks up Saul and says, you've got to come to Antioch and help me lead these hundreds of people, Gentiles, who know very little. So Paul, or Saul, whose name then becomes changed to Paul, Paul and Barnabas then minister to the growing church in Antioch 
which becomes a very sending center of missionaries around the Mediterranean. And in uh, the very next chapter there, it says that the church in Antioch commissioned Barnabas and uh, Paul to go on a missionary journey on into what is modern-day Turkey. And they uh, took with them uh, the young man, John Mark. Let me see where I can find it. Uh, Acts 12 tells us that there was a great persecution of the Christians in Jerusalem. It became worse. And King Herod killed the Apostle James by cutting off his head. Beginning of chapter 12 of Acts. He imprisoned Peter and was about to do the same with Peter when uh, an angel of the Lord set Peter free from the confinement of the prison where he was being held. And as he made his way out during the night, he went, according to Acts 12, to the house of a disciple named Mary. And it was her son who was named John Mark. That is the first appearance of John Mark in that chapter 12. And so John Mark is up in Antioch. Barnabas and Paul take John Mark and they go first on this first journey from Antioch to, uh, to Cyprus. And they cover the whole length of Cyprus for weeks and uh, helping people hear about Christ. From Cyprus then, they sailed up to this little pink area here called Pamphylia. And when they arrived there at the port city of Perga, John Mark turned around and left them. Acts continues on with not another word about John Mark. And Paul and Barnabas go through much of this modern-day Turkey going on that first missionary journey. They returned to Antioch. And we have uh, the story then of the great conflict in the church. They began worrying about whether they had to uh, circumcise all the Gentiles. And chapter 15 is the story of the first council of the church, settling that struggle in the family of Christ. And then they decided to send uh, Paul and Barnabas off again. And then we have that uh, text for us. So uh, on my next slide, let's go a couple more. I'll tell you where we are. Uh, here's our text again. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in those, that first year of work all through that area where they were going to go back and visit. Look at this statement. The disagreement became so sharp between Barnabas and Paul that they parted company. They separated. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. Um, Silas had been teaching in Antioch. It mentioned that. 
John Mark, there's nothing saying what he had done. Um, But Paul chose Silas and set out. Notice this little phrase here. The believers in Antioch commending him, Paul, to the grace of the Lord. Interestingly, it did not say that about them commending Barnabas, who sailed away to Cyprus. Almost looks as if there was an agreement in the church that um, Paul's wisdom about not taking John Mark um, made sense to them. And uh, so we have to look for little clues like that. But we are fooled if we think that Paul was being petty or unforgiving. Our first thought would be, wow, Paul is the one who teaches about grace. God loved us while we were his enemies. God forgives us. God welcomes us even when we're still uh, broken. Uh, he, He draws us in. He employs us in his ministry while we are still broken. Is Paul violating all that? Is this a petty disagreement? But we we would be discounting the depth of the the spiritual maturity, the knowledge and the wisdom, and the love of Paul. Um, Paul is the one who the scripture follows, who writes all of these letters uh, to the churches, teaching the church, becoming our very scripture, God believing that God spoke through Paul. Um, it does look like Paul's not being forgiving here to John Mark, but it may be that we need to see a little bit more about what it means to be a mature Christian, to be a mature family in Christ, how we make decisions together. And did they consult the rest of the church on this? It almost looks like the rest of the church in Antioch agreed that John Mark did not need to go on this one, that he might not have been ready for this. We ignore tremendous evidence in the letters of Paul which show deep understanding of grace and mercy, of God for people who do not deserve it. We are better instead to see that Paul and Barnabas had different assignments from God. And even their separating was something that God had a hand in. We are better to see that Paul, that Barnabas was an encourager of people uh, who already believed, while Paul was a preacher and teacher, uh, a gospel proclaimer to people who had never heard and who often disagreed violently. Paul was in obstetrics. Barnabas was in pediatrics. Paul was uh, deeply uh, effective, greatly effective in uh, proclaiming the gospel to people. And it was not only with love, it was with truth that often 
spurred a reaction of violence against him. And how he reacted to that and how those on his team reacted to that was as much a witness for the truth of Christ as, was, as were their words of the stories of Christ's ministry and death and resurrection. What change had it made? What kind of power and strength was in the lives of those who proclaimed to have someone quit and leave and fall away or deny in the pressure of the fire was something that Paul knew would be so damaging not only to the ministry but to the very people who were on the fringe of receiving Christ. Paul was guarding the, uh, the importance of, uh, of the gospel and the power of it. And so uh, it's, it's important for us to see that Barnabas had one role, Paul had another role, and that Paul was doing something that was good not only for the proclamation, but in time, good for John Mark. Um, we also need to remember that when the Spirit of Christ comes in us, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, produces fruit in our lives, evidences of change, evidence of strength and power where there was weakness and brokenness. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is listed as love. And if we stop there, we think that we just accept everyone as they are and leave them as they are and employ them in anything as they are. But the fruit of the Spirit goes on to say that there are other fruits put in our lives. Joy and peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness. John Mark was lacking in some of those during that first experience. And to Paul's appraisal, there had not been enough evidence since then for him to take him on this new journey. Fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, not violence. It is self-control and not out of control. Uh, the fruit of the, Spirit's, uh, fruit of the Spirit is acceptance, but it's also transformation. It is grace, but it's also growth. And Paul knew that very well. Not only did he welcome people, whoever they were, whatever their condition was, as Jesus did, but he, he led them on into maturity, as his Lord Christ did, all through the four counts of the gospel. This little incident is really turns out to be very instructive for us in the church. We should know that with the encouragement of Barnabas, his nephew John Mark uh, is later found to be with Paul in uh, Colossians. Paul writes to the church in Colossae and he says that John Mark is with him as he is in prison 
writing to the people in Colossae. So you never get all this story just put into one paragraph, but the more you know the scripture, the more you can pull the pieces together and see the threads of different people's stories and the changes and have the depth and wisdom we all need to be a family in Christ and it should be a model for each of our families. We must be like the first of our brothers and sisters who walked in the Spirit and were trustworthy to follow as the Spirit of Christ led them. So we must grow our individual families in that kind of love. Love that is soft, but love that is strong. Love that is forgiving, but love that is expecting. A love that sees transformation, instructs as well as accepts. We are all in this family, this family, and it is his family. Christ is about birth and growth. There are lessons to learn and love to share, and neither is cheap or easy. We are not building a house of straw or a house of sticks. We are to build a house of bricks. It's already happened, and it continues to happen. I commend you, but let us keep our eye on the ball, on what kind of people God is calling us to be. There is still plenty of room for growth for us all. May God bless us in this journey together. Amen.